Welcome to Happily Ever After is just the beginning. Keeping your relationship not just together, but happy, and we mean truly happy, is part art and part science. You've come to the right place. Here's your host, Leslie Dorries. Sex. What pops into your head when you hear that word? Unfortunately for many, it's a word that does not elicit warm feelings. Way too many people are living in what amounts to be sexless marriages. And in some places, like Japan, sex is something that has stopped happening for a large part of the population. But sex can be and is an important part of a romantic relationship. It's often just not talked about in that context in a healthy and productive way. And it's just one more area where there seems to be incredible division. Men are often portrayed as only being interested in the physical side of a relationship. And as long as they get theirs, they're satisfied. But in reality, it's not that simple. And if you're interested in being in a successful relationship for the long haul, then today's show is for you. Dr. Steven Snyder, sex therapist and author of, love this title, Love Worth Making, How to Have Ridiculously Great Sex in a Long-Lasting Relationship, <laughs> is here to help simplify it. So, Dr. Snyder, Stephen, thank you so much, because this is such an important topic that we don't talk about in a really good way. It's very strange because there's so much that's sexualized. It's almost become like a commodity um, in the media. Uh, the more sexualization, the better. And yet the parts of uh, relationship sex and marital sex that really can't be commodified, the emotional parts, really don't get talked about. Probably part of the reason is we don't really have the vocabulary to talk about those things. That's one of the reasons I wrote the book, to kind of just offer a vocabulary to talk about those. Right, and it's, and it's so important and because... Because sex isn't just sex. I realize that people want to think it's just a physical act, but and sometimes I suppose it can be. But that's not really what it's all about, and that's, right. I think, where it's, it gets more confusing as opposed to clearer. Absolutely, yeah. I'm, I'm so glad that you asked me to talk about this because, you know, uh, it's jokingly sometimes said, I'm sure you've heard it, that sex is just friction plus fantasy. And <laughs> Or, as is jokingly called in the sex com therapy community, friction plus fiction. Um, right. So, in other words, fantasy plus uh, some rubbing in the right places. However, if you stick with friction plus fantasy, you really uh, kind of miss the boat on what really keeps people together over the long term. Uh, what really keeps people together over the long term is what we might call heart. There has to be some mm -hmm. heart in sex. And that's the missing ingredient that people haven't had the vocabulary for. Right, but they also know that something's missing. They, they do they recognize totally that. They totally know. And that just getting a new vibrator or doing a sex date or, you know, a new costume or whatever or trying to lay right. Hanging from novel. the chandeliers. Yeah, it's not going to do it. It's not going to do it. I always say it's, a, it's, it's like trying – because the sexual self, as I talk about in my book, is like a small child. You know, it, it just wants uh, what it wants immediately. And if you spend a lot of energy trying to keep your sexual self happy, as most people recommend you do, you're going to end up like trying to keep a small child happy. You're just going to be exhausted, and the child's <laughs> not going not gonna to be any happier because it, it, just, it doesn't know any, any wholesome limits or boundaries. You know, it's like Fifty Shades of Grey. You know, it, it made oh. a lot of women very turned on for a, a week and a half, and everything settled back to normal. You know, novelty doesn't really do it. 
Right. So what does do it? What I talk about in the book is that the big payoff with sex, especially relationship sex, and this is going to sound a little weird, is narcissistic gratification. You know, we're accustomed to hearing about narcissism as something that's bad. Somebody's narcissistic, they lack empathy, they're manipulative, Mm -hmm. or so forth. But in reality, there's a foundation of what we call healthy narcissism, which is healthy, good feeling about yourself and feeling that you're a good person. Um, In fact, people with narcissistic problems, uh, you know, as being a mental health professional, they often have damage to their sense of healthy narcissism. um, So what you get... Right, it kind of runs amok. Exactly. So what you get in good sex, and most people who've had good sex can relate to this, is you see yourself reflected in the other person's eyes. You see the other person enjoying you. You're enjoying them. It's just the two of you in that moment, and you are the universe to each other in that moment. Now, for most of us, that's an extremely potent source of satisfaction. And my own theory about it, which I talk about in the book, is that it's a reawakening of the other great universe of two people, which is mother-infant bonding. And we all come from that because, you know, as human beings, we have the fourth trimester where we're helpless and we have these deep, deep one-on-one uh, with the people who provide for us. You know, most animals don't have that. They're pretty independent from the, from, the, from the get-go. And so they don't really have the same kind of eroticism that we have. For them, just sex is just a practical matter. But for right. humans, it's, <laughs> Procreation. It's, a of, yeah, it's a source of tremendous narcissistic gratification. Um, and that's, by the way, that's my pet theory for why this younger generation in Japan, as you mentioned, is totally wired. Um, uh, not having much sex is because they're getting all their narcissistic gratification from their online contacts and right. from their electronic devices. You know, electronic devices are always happy to see us, and they turn <laughs> on and they make nice noises and beautiful. You know, they're, they're beautiful. Um, right. And um, uh, you get all these likes and uh, uh, faves and loves and all that stuff, and people get distracted, kind of like movie stars used to do, and you see what happened to their marriages. Right. So what I, it's important that people get back to is uh, the idea that what you're really going to get out of good sex is that sense of um, being a two-person universe and regressing back to somewhat of a childlike, selfish state of mind. Well, and I do want to bring up, because one of the things that I'm really focusing on is more of a, con- is, is more of a focus on men and what's going on with men oh, in relationships and i and i know that part of that whole japanese thing is a, is a lot driven by the men absolutely and you wrote a post recently for a blog that i follow it's called to love honor and vacuum entitled why men go missing in bed sometimes it's the relationship and this is really i mean we've known this for years about women that when the relationship isn't good problems show up in the bedroom. But I think this idea that men might be dissatisfied with the relationship and problems show up in the bedroom, because men are never supposed to have problems in the bedroom. They're always supposed to be raring to go. Exactly. (laughs) Male sexuality is supposed to be automatic. Right. And so in this article, you talk about men wanting to feel welcomed in their relationship, and I loved that concept. Um, But can you talk about what this means and and why it's so important, especially if you want to have a good, fun, healthy sex life? I'm, I'm thrilled that you asked. 
everybody knows what women want in a sexual relationship, or at least most women. One of the most things that most women want that's most important is to feel desired. And that's mm-hmm. why people read romance novels, a man who just can't keep his hands off the woman and um, who's just hungry for her. Men want something uh, that few people talk about. They want to feel, as you say, welcomed. They want to feel that the uh, their partner, assuming they're heterosexual, the, the woman, heterosexual relationships are the ones that cause the most trouble. That's what we're talking mm-hmm. about them. Um, uh, that she's happy to see them. Uh, if you look at uh, in the old days, Playboy, the Playmate of the Month. You know, she had a rockin' hot body and so forth, and she looked terrific. And she always also wore this smile, this particular <laughs> smile. It was this huge, welcoming smile, and non-verbally it said, Oh, my, you're here. Oh, I'm so happy to see you. Come in right now. Oh, right. oh gosh, I'm so thrilled that you're here. Now, that kind of smile is catnip to a cat. Um, And the reason is that in heterosexual mating, the woman's body is where all the action happens. You know, in pornography, it's all about the woman's body. The guy, it's like his penis. Nobody really cares about his body. But the, um, but, but the woman's body is really where everything happens. And it's, you know, it, it, she's kind of got what we call in sports the home field advantage. Um, and so the man is on, he's, he's the visiting team. And he wants to feel that it's safe to enter uh-huh. and that he's not going to be humiliated or criticized or made to feel inadequate. Um, now, women worry about being humiliated and criticized and made to feel inadequate, too. But mm-hmm. very often what I find in the office is it's not a woman's prime concern. A woman's prime concern, more often, as I see it, see if it matches your experience, is to feel desired and not to feel abandoned or neglected. Right. Um, so it requires some ongoing activity by the man, uh, you know, to, to reassure her that, that he cares, that he's involved, that he's doing things, that he's still there, that he wants to fix the dishwasher, um, and, and so forth. For a woman, um, a man doesn't really need her to do anything. Um, you know, erotic images of women feature them, you know, in bathing suits, sitting by the pool, doing absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, erotic images of men of that sort really don't turn women on. You know, Playgirl magazine uh, came in business by, by, it was gay men who bought it, because those gay men are the only people who want to look at a man doing nothing. (laughs) Women, you want to see a man do something. You know, in Fifty Shades of Grey, he's doing chin-ups and dips and stuff, you know. He's playing the piano. He's doing something. Um, So a man wants to feel welcomed and appreciated in that way. Unfortunately, what happens is... Most men are terrified of disappointing the women that they care about. Now, I and, think this, and this that has got I really want girl. to reiterate because that is what I have heard and seen so much that it almost paralyzes guys because they're totally afraid that they'd yeah. rather do nothing. Absolutely. They do the wrong thing, and they really Absolutely. do want to make women happy. They totally do. They totally do because, you know, I'm, one of my favorite authors on the subject is Michael Bader, who wrote a book called, uh, I don't know, Male Sexuality, Why Women Don't Understand It and Men Don't Understand It Either, which is a good title. Um, and <laughs> yeah, he great. Said, he, said, he said the thing is that, that men uh, have the feeling growing up as boys with their mothers that their mother's happiness is something that they're responsible for 
and yet they mm-hmm. feel hopeless about helping her with it. Yeah, that's a little dangerous. I always get a little concerned, and and this is one of the things I talk about, that we can't, neither the the man nor the woman can be responsible for the other person's happiness, but we certainly can contribute to it. Well, I think that uh, when we talk about kids, we're not talking about rational uh, uh, adults. We're talking about really grandiose fantasies that children have, that -hmm. they should be able to ensure the mother's happiness. Well, because their survival sort of depends on it. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, um, and women have that too sometimes. But with guys, it's, it's a thing. Uh, a guy who uh, is seeing a woman, maybe they've had a couple of dates, and then he ghosts her. Mm-hmm. She never hears from him again. Drives women crazy. Right. Usually the reason is because he didn't, he didn't think it was going to work, but he was so horribly worried about disappointing her that he couldn't just give her a call and say, you know, I don't think it's going to work between us. She would be relieved to find out. She wouldn't have to sit by the phone for a couple of days. Try to figure out what went wrong, right? Exactly, exactly. But he can't do that because he's terrified of disappointing her. Now, what happens in a new relationship, everybody's smiling. She gives him that big Playmate of the Month smile, and he's the happiest mm-hmm. guy in the world because it inflates his sense of well-being and good feeling about himself. And then there comes a time when, you know, it happens in life if she's disappointed by something. You know, sometimes, <laughs> yeah. sometimes it's disappointed by something that he did, which obviously Obviously, it's going to happen sooner or later. So they should be disappointed by something else. Guys don't like that um, because uh, they tend not to be good at handling female disappointment. So tenderly, what happens, in my book, I call this a sex knot, K-N-O-T. Mm-hmm. They get into a knot this way. Um, yes. He is worried because she was disappointed, so he withdraws. Now, her prime worry is usually abandonment. So she gets upset because he withdraws. And he doesn't know that she's upset because he withdraws. He just knows she's upset, so he withdraws further. And then eventually he withdraws physically, and at that point she gets very, very upset because she doesn't feel desired. And at that point she starts to complain. Oh, and boy, yeah. She complains, mm-hmm. he feels criticized, and at that point, being fundamentally still psychologically back in the three-year-old phase, he feels things are hopeless. And... He has that sense of hopelessness, and it's the sense of hopelessness often that keeps a man away long term. I talk to guys all the time about this. I say, why didn't you just talk to her about it? He goes, nothing I do works. Nothing I do is right. Nothing will please her. It's just all hopeless. And she says, no, it's not hopeless. Just, I don't know, just talk to me once in a while. Right, but but yeah, but which seems to be a simple solution, but it's not an easy one because that whole being able to talk to somebody when you're afraid of the response is really, I mean, it does. I love that you call it the knot because it basically sets up this de-escalate, well, actually an escalating pattern because the more you do this, the more I do that. And it's like somebody's got to be willing to stop and go, whoa, we we got to fix this here. Exactly, exactly. So I think the most important thing is to recognize is that you're in a knot. Because mm-hmm. that's one of the things that makes sex problems uh, a little challenging to fix sometimes is people don't realize they're in a knot. So it's very useful to identify. In my book, I have an appendix at the back of the 11 most common sex knots and how to untie them. It's kind of a Boy Scout manual of how to untie <laughs> these, these sex knots. Yeah, and, and none of them are the Gordian knot where you just need to take a sword to it. No, <laughs> no, they're all readily untieable, all readily untieable. And, and that's part of it is because people, I mean, none of us, 
we, we do what we do because it's what we've always done. And then when it isn't working, we don't know what it is that we're supposed to be doing instead. And so it's kind of like we set up this really unproductive pattern and then nobody gets what they're looking for. Exactly, exactly. Especially because I, I think you've, you've emphasized in your work, people expect that it's just going to happen automatically. Oh, yeah. This is the, the Hallmark card version of it. And right. Well, so, yes. If my partner really loved me, they'd know, you know, this oh, yeah. would be automatic. And it's like, oh, my gosh, please, let's not do that. <laughs> <laughs> So this is Happily Ever After. It's just the beginning on webtalkradio.net. I'm Leslie Dorries, and I'm talking about men and their desire for sex with author Dr. Steven Snyder. And intimacy, not just sex, is an important component of romantic relationships. And often, as we've been talking about, if there's a problem outside the bedroom, it's going to show up inside the bedroom. And if that's an area of concern in your marriage, don't just hope it will get better. I invite you to take action to address it right now today. So give me a call or send me an email and take advantage of my free, no obligation, create your happily ever after strategy session. You can reach me at area code 919-924-0463. Again, that's 919-924-0463. Or you can send me an email at leslie, L-E-S-L-I, at foundationscoachingnc.com. That's F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N-S, coaching, N as in Nancy, C as in Charlie.com. And this whole thing, this whole idea about great sex in a long-term relationship, I know people are like going, not possible, and what Hmm. we're here to tell you today is, yes, it is. It is. And so... You know, we're talking about what happens with men when they feel criticized because that's one of the big things. And one of the things that I learned years ago from from a colleague, Terry Real, is to, if there's something wrong, try to phrase it in the form of a request because criticism and complaint are so (laughs) damaging, Um, especially to men, even though I think, Either they, are, they aren't necessarily aware of it, and neither are their wives about what that impact is. I think it's that whole concept of feeling nagged, which isn't necessarily what the wives are doing. The wives are really upset, but there's just not – the way it's being expressed isn't effective. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think it – uh, I, I love your idea of happily ever after is just the beginning because uh, that's really, really true. You know, people go into marriages feeling like, okay, now we'll just be happy. And what happens instead is disappointments. And what the disappointments do is they shake your faith in the relationship. What I say in the book is the way to build faith in the relationship is to sit with the disappointments and see if you can figure out creatively what you can would do. And it requires both people to really say, okay, what are we going to do here? Well, and I think that that's a critical component because there's – now, there's no way that two people are always going to agree, um, never hurt each other. I mean, and most of the time we don't hurt each other on purpose. We have no idea that what we're doing is problematic for our partners, especially if they don't tell us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but right. And again, I tell people how you tell your partner that there's a problem – is going to be critical in whether or not you get around it. But people get into these loops. And you talk about, um, in the article, you mentioned the expectation that your partner will provide you with unqualified support and approval, um, which 
that's that unconditional love, which I'm not sure exists at all. And if it does, I'm convinced it's only parent to child and in no other relationship. Absolutely. But the the problem, though, is that we experience it in the parent-child relationship. So on a fundamental level, that's our template for what love looks like. Right. Um, And uh, interestingly enough, with good sex, that really is the template. Um, But what I tell people is the mother-infant relationship, at least in its foundation, is not necessarily about giving and taking. It's about taking and taking. The mother Which is goes against everything the people talk about exactly. in terms of the, a romantic relationship. Yeah. The mother is enjoying the baby. Mm-hmm. Um, if you just take care of your baby and you don't enjoy the baby, that's not good for the baby. We have a, a fundamental need to be enjoyed. And so the mother enjoys the baby and the baby has the experience. Somebody in this universe, this new universe that I've just been born into, is happy about the fact that I exist. Now, that's a beautiful thing, and that's Mm -hmm. what you want in sex. You want to enjoy your partner selfishly. I always tell patients, just go to bed with your partner and just enjoy their body selfishly for your own pleasure, because that's much more neurotic than, that's much more erotic than trying to give the person, like, the ultimate blowjob or something like that. That eventually becomes just technical, and that doesn't work. Right, because it's missing that whole component. And one of the things I want to make sure that people understand is like, okay, we're not telling you to have sex with your mother. <laughs> no, definitely not. We're definitely or not. Or even mentally have sex with your mother. Um, no. but it's, what we're but talking it's, about is that is it the the, uh, the fundamental feeling memory mm-hmm. of being enjoyed by the universe. Because, you know, originally the baby doesn't know the mother's not the whole universe. Um, so we have the feeling the universe is enjoying me and I'm enjoying the universe. It's much more diffuse than that. And that's why sex has this quality where emotions and physical sensation are kind of combined and and they're in there together and they're all mixed up. And it's that mix-up between self and other and between emotion and sensation that's so delicious. Yeah, and it's... and And when it works, it's fantastic. But then, of course... Part of it is we have to get out of our heads and into okay. our bodies, which I think right. is one of the challenges. And, you know, and over the years, there's, you know, on some level, having sex with somebody you've known for a long time is really good because you know them. And hopefully there's a sense of trust and a sense of acceptance that allows us to really be open both physically and emotionally, but also over the years we can be throwing wrenches into this whole pattern. Sure, sure. And so what are some things that couples can be doing, I hate using this word, but should be doing, (laughs) to keep their intimate lives, not, I mean, yes, their, their sex lives, but their whole intimate lives thriving. And, you know, because, because we do, we see these couples. And, you know, I tell people, I can tell by looking at a couple whether mm-hmm. or not they are intimate with each other. Absolutely. And it's sort of like what I've said for years, that I don't know how, but even after um, Chris Reeves had his, his, had his paralyzing um, horseback riding incident. I know he and his wife were intimate. I could not tell you how, but I could tell by looking at the way they interacted with each other that somehow... Yeah, exactly, exactly. They were I, I, happen, I, I actually happen to be a good example of this. Uh, my, my wife is disabled. Uh, she had a stroke about 25 years ago, and we're happy as clams. Um, right. And uh, 
and what helped is that one, I'm a doctor, which helps. Uh, and the other is that I'm a sex therapist. So I kind of knew what I was doing. Um, uh-huh. And some of the insights that, uh, that I've gained over the years uh, from myself and from patients I put into the book. So three things I would say um, for, for your listeners on how to have uh, meaningful, validating, satisfying, great sex uh, in a long-term relationship. Number one is keep having good sex. You know, like Dr. Ruth always says, have good sex. But what's good sex? Mm-hmm. I would say good sex is where you felt authentically aroused. It's a mental phenomenon. It's where you felt that sense of regression and becoming a little bit more selfish, a little bit more kind of carried away in the experience. And that can happen while kissing. It can happen during intercourse. It can happen at any point. But that's the key thing. That's what's really nourishing is that quality of uh, regressing to perhaps a more childlike, more selfish state of mind. And there's a lot more about that. I call it psychological arousal rather than just hardness and wetness. Right, um, and psycho- psychological arousal is critical. I, we've known this for years for women, but I think it's also extraordinarily critical for men. They just don't want to mechanically perform. Of course not. Of course not. They'll settle for it, but they won't settle for it for long. Right. And so uh, hardness and wetness don't make for good sex, but a lot of couples get misled because mm-hmm. they think, hey, you know, hard, wet, let's have sex. No, no, you're probably not ready to have sex yet if you're not really into that state of mind where it's really doing something special and you feel like you're getting carried on by a current somewhere because you can be hard and wet and have sex and mean absolutely, absolutely nothing. Right. So number one, have good sex. Um, number two, don't limit your experience of that happy childlike arousal feeling to when you're going to have sex. Have it, have it at other times, too. One of the first techniques that I talk about in the book is what's called simmering, which we sex therapists have talked about for years. Uh, kissing your spouse goodbye on the way to work, that's yeah, a waste of a good moment. Why uh-huh. kiss them goodbye when you could simmer them goodbye? In other words, reach inside their clothes. Um, doesn't have to be genitally or something. Um, inhale the scent of their hair. Feel their uh-huh. body. Pull them towards you. Exchange a current of sexual energy for a minute. Look deep into each other's eyes. Look at your watch and go, i got to go. And <laughs> you leave just like two high school kids making out in the hallway and the bell rings and they got to go to their class. They leave right. and they feel leave fantastic. Yeah, they leave and they feel fantastic because they had a moment of authentic arousal. And people forget that you can have moments of authentic arousal even if it's not ending in orgasm. People treat arousal like it's fever. They've got to put it out. You know, they've got to take Tylenol. got to get an orgasm. You know, I feel aroused. Oh, my God, I've got to do something about it. No, you don't have to do anything about it. You can stay aroused for hours if you want. Just watch a movie together feeling aroused. Teenagers love doing that. So can right. adults. Um, but adults get into this very efficient kind of thing. Okay, I'm aroused. You're aroused. We've got to get an orgasm. Um, I always tell in the book, I say, you know, orgasm is just dessert. You know, it's like going out to eat just to get dessert. Well, you know, you do that once in a while, but not a, not a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you end up still hungry. So, number one, have good sex. Number two, don't only get aroused together when you're going to have sex. You know, simmer each other, as I'm saying, uh, when you go to bed. Don't just kiss your partner good night. Simmer them good night. You know, get a, get a good grab of them and pull them close and inhale their scent and have a deep kiss, look deeply into their eyes and say, mm, good night. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the final thing is uh, 
something that I, I kind of invented with the help of many patients over the years. It's an alternative to the traditional sex date. Everybody's told to have sex dates where you right. say, okay, Thursday at 8 o'clock, uh, we'll get the sex date. Let's go into bed. Let's have sex. Here's the problem. It's like you made a dinner reservation and nobody's hungry. Because bottom line, even though sex can be great in a long-term relationship, you're not going to desire somebody the same way that you desired them at the beginning. Um, And that's just the facts. Uh, Most people in long-term relationships, if their partner is away for a week, they're not suffering from the lack of sex uh, for, for a week with their partner. There are exceptions, but for most people, you don't have that kind of driven uh, gotta have you right now kind of desire. Mm-hmm. So if you have a sex date and you go into bed to have sex, what you're doing is you're kind of doing a replica of that early relationship gotta have you kind of thing, but it feels fake. So what I suggest is what I call the two-step. Step two is to have sex or whatever kind of thing you're going to do. Right. Step one is to lie there <clears throat> as unclothed as you want to be in bed, with the only agenda being to do absolutely nothing. So you're just going to do nothing together. And you could chat a little bit if you want, Uh just hang out together and breathe and feel your body in bed, feel the temperature of your body, feel where your body is, feel how it feels. If you can see the sky through your window, look at the sky. And then when you've had a chance to kind of settle into that state of doing nothing, which is a state of awareness, um, then you turn to your partner, and then you can have sex. And what you've done is you've prepared yourself, and you're already there, and then you can come together because you're already there with each other. And that's a much better way for a long-term couple to have sex on a regular basis. So you don't make an appointment to have a sex date. You do set aside time, though, to do the two-step. And I love that concept because it's about... One of the hot topics in in the world today right now is mindfulness. It's about yeah. being being present, being intentional, and you know. And one of the things that I think you say, and, and my other friends who are sex therapists also say, it's like it isn't about the physical act because we can turn a lot of things into sexual acts. It doesn't necessarily mean that we have to have intercourse or whatever. It's, totally. But it's feeling into our bodies. And I think that one of the things that happens is we get disconnected outside of the bedroom, which means we're going to be disconnected inside of the bedroom. And mm-hmm. we need to be able to, to make the time and take the time to re- reconnect first with ourselves and then Absolutely. You, you put it very well. It's to reconnect with yourself, essentially. Because um, as, you, as you said earlier, most people don't really feel that sense of connection with their bodies. Um, when I'm sitting in the office with a patient, sometimes I consciously make the effort to connect with my own feet. Um, mm-hmm. And I go, oh, yeah, there they are. Oh, that feels good. You know? um, yeah, they're on the floor. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're okay. They're a part of me, but I just like take them for granted. You know? And so that's a, that's a wonderful thing. And as, as you know, uh, mindfulness is really the new wave in sex therapy. Uh, my colleague Lori Brado really developed this over the last decade or so in Vancouver. And um, so and she has a book now. It's, it's, uh, I don't remember exactly the title, but her name is L-O-R-I-B-R-O-T-T-O, and uh-huh. it's about mindfulness and, and sex for women. Same thing absolutely is true for, for, for men. And the mindful movement really is nothing special. You don't have to eat vegan or sit cross-legged <laughs> or anything. Um, it's just about taking a moment to feel your feet, to notice your breathing. And when you do that, 
your sense of awareness tends to expand and everything is better. If you do that before going out to eat, you see the food tastes better. There's nothing about special about sex in this regard. Mm-hmm. But it is, and, and but I do like the idea, and this is one of the things, and, and of course children throw a wrench in the works, and that's a whole other show. Oh, that would be a whole other show. Happy to come back and talk about that one. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but But it's, we have to concentrate. We have to still focus on being partners. And that's where you know, what your statement and Dr. Ruth about have good sex. Have good sex often. <laughs> At least once a week. Because, because otherwise it you get is the, that connection. Otherwise you get the Westermark effect, which is why uh, siblings don't tend to marry each other. Because somebody you under the same roof with, that you're not having a physical relationship with, they get, begin to get registered as a sibling. Mm-hmm. Um, or so, a roommate. Yeah, exactly. Um, which is that horrible situation that we all hear about. Feels, it's like, feels like we're just, just like roommates. roommates. Yeah. Feels like we're just roommates, yeah. So you want to have, have something erotic, even if it's just simmering at least once a week, just as a reminder to your nervous system that this person is not a sibling or a roommate. Instead, there's something strange and foreign. Um, and that sense of foreignness and strangeness, as Esther Perel you know, wrote very eloquently, it's that sense of foreignness and strangeness that, that really is an animating force in an erotic marriage over, over many, many years. And the thing that's important to remember, and I love Esther, is that we aren't the same people. We change. So just because I, just because I quote, knew you, yeah. unquote, two years ago doesn't mean I know you today. Totally. Totally, and that's a, that's very uh, uh, deep in the mindfulness realm. You know the old saying: you never step in the same, same river twice. You know it's a different river. Mm-hmm. So this has been fantastic, and I no, so appreciate you, you coming in. And can you thank please you, let people know one where they can get your book and two more information okay. about this really important topic? Excellent. Um, the uh, book is called Love Worth Making. And it's obtainable anywhere, any bookstore or uh, on Amazon or any of the other online booksellers. And uh, just dial in love worth making. That's love making with the word worth stuck in the middle. And uh, on my website, it's uh, loveworthmaking.com. Terrific. And so what I want people to know is married sex is not an oxymoron. In fact, sex with someone who knows you and who you know can actually be really fantastic. But couples don't have to settle for no sex or mess sex. But the longer the issue lingers, the harder it can be to take action on it. Physical intimacy is important to both men and women and to your relationship as a whole. But only you can decide if it's important enough to you to do something to make it better. So hopefully this show has helped. You'll keep listening. And until next week, stay loving. 